Well, good morning. Can you help? Can you hear me? Good. So as we come to these uh, scriptures, I just uh, want to just ask you a question as we begin, and that is, have you ever noticed in this life that when people really want something, they're actually willing to suffer or sacrifice in some way to get it? For example, you know, if I want to lose weight, I will deprive myself of food. I'll even let myself go hungry for a while anyway. If I, you know, if I want to, if we want to get strong, uh, we'll, we'll train our muscles, work hard, no pain, no gain. Or if we want to get ahead in our jobs or in school, we'll study or work for long hours rather than doing something we'd much rather do. We'll suffer because we think it's worth it. Well, these things that I just described are temporary, aren't they? They're not eternal. Um, and yet, we have to understand and think about the fact that too often, maybe it's just me, um, we'll sacrifice, spend a lot of our time sacrificing for what is temporary and shrink back from being willing to do it for something permanent and eternal, for Christ for his kingdom, for his glory, so others can come to know him. And so really the question is, what is most important to us? What are we willing to pay? The reality with God is that his path does sometimes mean pain. And that's just the truth of it. Pain, Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. And these verses that we're looking at this week are talking about that. It doesn't mean he's abandoned us. He's warning us. It's coming. Sometimes his path, he calls us to, is a path of difficulty. But you know, the truth is, in God's upside-down reality, it's only in following him and truly giving up ourselves entirely to him that we find our true self and we actually do flourish and have joy. It's opposite world. <laughs> And so this morning, we're going to unpack this in these verses in chapter 9 of, of Luke's Gospel. So would you bow your head and pray with me as we begin? Father, these verses in some ways are hard for us to hear. They're hard to unpack. And Lord, it is no use me talking. We need you. So humbly, Lord, I ask, by your Holy Spirit, would you speak, Lord? Your servants are listening. Would you illuminate our minds? Would you teach us what you want us to hear? this morning, whether we are here, sitting here at Granville Chapel or at home in our rooms or dialing in at some other time, Lord, use this word to speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's pick up, first of all, sorry, that's a Kleenex just in case for later. <clears throat> so let's pick up in verse 18, and we see that um, Jesus has been praying Hang on, I'm not even in the right chapter yet. Okay, so we see that Jesus has been praying. It says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. So it seems he's been praying, for, and I would say he's probably been praying for direction and wisdom because he knows that his disciples don't, they need to move forward in their understanding of who he is. And so he's going to now use one of his favorite ways of teaching, and that is to ask questions, a very rabbinical way of teaching, actually. And so he begins with a general question. He says to them, who do the crowds say I am? 
And of course, they reply. We see here some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets of long ago, come back to life. Now, um, John the Baptist by this point had been beheaded by Herod, and even Herod was thinking maybe this was John, Jesus was John come back to life. Some people thought he was Elijah because of the verses in Malachi that say before the day of the Lord, Malachi will come, Elijah will come, sorry. And so there was a lot of different opinions about who Jesus might be. And we have the same thing today, don't we? Lots of different opinions on Jesus. Some people, yes, think he's a wonderful teacher. They love the things he teaches, the best teaching ever. Other people say, oh yes, he's a prophet. Even in their faith, they have him as a prophet, but they've stopped short of saying he's the savior. And many, many people outright reject him. Don't, some people don't even think he was a historical figure, actually. But you know, to be honest, um, Jesus in these verses isn't actually interested in what the crowds think about him. He wants to know what his disciples think about him. And so he says to them, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, God's Messiah. Now, Matthew's Gospel says, Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So, what does this mean? What does he mean when he says, God's, you are God's Messiah? Well, you know, the Bible tells us that Jesus is God, that the, he is the Son of God, who along with the Father and the Holy Spirit have existed for all of eternity, in this beautiful relationship of mutual love and delight. Theologians call it, perichoresis, a divine dance of love, where each loves the other, glorifies the other, and it was out of this incredible, in, intimate, uh, infinite love that God decided to create mankind, to invite us into that, not because he was lonely or because he needed little servants to do things for him, because he wanted us to be with him in that. That is actually our entire purpose. That is the meaning, the true meaning of our lives is to be in that relationship with God. But do you know something? Before he even created us, he knew what it was gonna cost. He knew that we would turn from him, that we would reject his love, reject his authority. He knew it was gonna cost the life of Jesus, his son, and he created us anyway. He loves us that much. And so 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to rescue us. In fact, the moment that we sinned, God came to our parents and said to them, don't worry, I'm going to send you a savior. A Messiah is going to come so that you will not be separated from me forever. He loves us and wants us to be with him. And so the whole Old Testament is full of promises of this Savior, this Messiah, what he was going to be like. And then, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to be that Messiah. The one who created everything, flung the stars into existence, created us in our mother's womb, allowed himself to go into the womb of a woman and to be born a, a little baby, fully God and fully man, and he came on the greatest rescue mission this world has ever known. And so, this is what Peter is affirming here, that Jesus is this Messiah, this promised Savior that God has said was going to come. But 
the disciples didn't fully understand. You know, um, they thought that Jesus had come actually as an earthly king, that he had come just to rescue Israel, rescue the Jews, so they could have this, their, their Israel to be an independent and strong nation again. He just didn't, and they didn't understand that Jesus had come to die and to rise again, and that any who believed in him would have everlasting life. And so before we go any further, I think we actually need to stop for a moment and ask ourselves the question that Jesus asks the disciples. Who do you say I am? I'm going to give you a moment just to answer that question. I'm going to take a page from David a few weeks ago. Who do you say Jesus is? So, after, after he gets this answer from Peter, Jesus um, tells them not to tell anybody. He says, don't tell anybody. <laughs> but why? Wouldn't he want everybody to know he's the Messiah? Well, it's not time yet. It's not Jesus' time yet to be arrested. And also, he doesn't want to be pressed into other people's ideas of what Messiah is. Like I said, they didn't really understand he'd come to die, right? But this is actually a turning point. It's a very big turning point because at this point, the disciples now understand that Jesus is the Messiah. So he's now going to unpack for them what that actually means. So he says to them in verse 22, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, this must have been such a shock. I mean, can you imagine? Here they had all their hopes on this Jesus, that he was going to give them glory, and they were going to be in this kingdom with him, and now they're finding out he's going to die, and not only that, their religious leaders are going to kill him. And it was such a shock, actually, that Peter, uh, we know from Matthew's gospel, took Jesus to one side and rebuked him and said, no, Lord, that's never going to happen to you. And, um, well, just, you know, Basically, what it is, is the idea of a Messiah suffering was just so far from, from Peter's mind. He just wanted to protect Jesus from suffering. Can you imagine if Jesus had listened to Peter and said, Oh, yes, you're right, you know. Suffering really is too much. You only live once. I better stay quiet. I better not get out there and get hurt. Of course he didn't do that. Of course he wouldn't do that. He knew why he came. He knew what his mission was. And so he says to Peter, we read in Matthew, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus knew he had come to suffer and die. He knew what rescuing us was going to cost. And you know, he didn't come when the guillotine or hanging was the form of capital punishment. He came when the form of capital punishment was crucifixion. And this was a terrible way to die. This is where we get the word, our word, excruciating from. So it was specifically designed by the Romans to inflict the maximum amount of pain and humiliation to the victim as they would slowly suffocate to death, nailed naked to a cross for everyone to see. It was designed actually as a deterrent for people so they wouldn't go against the power of Rome. But Jesus was willing. 
He wasn't merely concerned with human things. He was concerned with God and his kingdom and his purposes and his people. He wanted to rescue us. So he set his face like flint and he went all the way to Jerusalem and he drank the dregs of suffering for us. He allowed himself to be beaten within an inch, beyond recognition, abused, nailed to a cross, but actually that wasn't the worst of it. So often we focus on the physical agony. The worst of it was him, was for him was the spiritual suffering because all of our sin was placed on our sinless savior. The billions and billions of people sinned, the horrific things placed on Jesus Christ. And that is why he sweated drops of blood the night before he went to the cross, because he knew that when that was placed on him, he would have something happen to him that he had never experienced in all of, his, in all of eternity. He would be separated from the Father. He would be completely alone. And that was the agony that Jesus was so frightened of. And so he cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? But he knew why. He was doing it for you and me. So that we could be forgiven. All of our sin was placed on him. Everything you have ever done or will ever do, everything I have ever done or will ever do, was placed on him. And he died for that. And he paid the price. He said, it is finished. And then, three days later, he rose again. And he rose again victorious over your sin and my sin. By rising again, he proved that he paid the price for your sin and my sin. He broke the chains that are on us. He reversed the curse so that we now never have to be separated. He was separated from the Father, so you and I never, ever have to be separated from him. And that was the cost for Jesus. And he considered us worth it. For the joy set before him, he went and did that for you and for me. So Jesus says to the disciples, I have to go through these things, and then... He says to them, in verse 23, maybe something even more shocking to his disciples, I don't know, by this time they must have been reeling. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. In other words, there will be a cross for you as well. It's not going to be just glory if you follow me. Now, one thing I really have to say before we go any further here. Jesus is not saying that in order to be a disciple, in order to be part of God's kingdom, in order to belong to him, that we have to pick up our cross and follow him, and that will earn us a place as his child, as his disciple. Not at all. There's one way we are saved, that is through grace, by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a gift. A gift. We believe in him, believe that he died for us, and we receive it. We can't do anything to earn it, and we can never lose it, ever. But what he is saying here is that as his disciples, when we know him, we will live differently because we belong to him now. We have changed and we belong to him, and so when we follow him, it's going to be costly. 
And so actually in these verses he unpacks, if we jump down over to 57 to 62, he actually unpacks it a little bit more to show us what that cost is going to look like. He says to this first, three followers, three would-be followers come up to him. To the first man who says, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus basically says to him, if you follow me, you will not even be guaranteed a roof over your head. If you belong to me, you will no longer belong to the world. You will no longer feel at home in the world, and you may even lose your home. And that has happened. It does, throughout history it's happened. We have, we have welcomed into this community people who've lost their homes as refugees because of their faith in Christ, haven't we? To the next person, who in verses 59 to 60, this man hesitates when Jesus calls him, and he says, first of all, let me go and bury my father. Jesus says to him, basically, I must be your priority. Jesus knows he's hesitating because, oh, it's not the right time. Actually, I'd really like to get my inheritance first. Jesus says, I have to come before everything else in your life, before your family, your friends, your, your, your responsibilities, your money for sure. And then to the third man who says to him, um, yes, I'm going to follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus basically says to him, don't look back longingly on what you're going to leave behind when you come to follow me. Follow me wholeheartedly. Don't give me half your heart. Give me all of it. So as we look at these verses then, is Jesus saying to us that when we follow him, we're never going to have a home, we're never going to have a bed to sleep in, we're never going to be able to go back and bury our families or say goodbye to them, we're never going to get tired of obeying him, and we're never going to want to give up and just go home? No. He is not saying that, but he is saying it's going to be costly. And so really what he's saying to us is don't be surprised when things come to you that are hard, that are painful, that are difficult. It does not mean that God has abandoned us when the hard thing comes to us. Jesus is warning us it is not going to be the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. <laughs> it's not. That's a lie. It's going to be hard. And you know, sometimes when we... When we ask Christ into our heart, we think we're inviting him just to come along with us on our path. You know, come on, God, you can bless me now. Just bless my plans. You come with me where I want to go. But the truth is, actually, when we become a believer, we go on his path because we belong to him. He bought us on that cross with his blood. And so he invites us on his path. And his so following Jesus is not just learning about him or adding him into our lives as some sort of get-out-of-hell-free plan for the future. It's actually following him, going where he went, doing what he did, loving like he did, suffering, picking up our cross, if that's, if, when, in fact, always, what he asks us to do. And so this is not just saying no to yourself for some little sinful pleasure, like drinking too much wine or, I don't know, sitting on the couch too much. It's not that. It's actually giving yourself, your life to him, dying to self and living for Jesus. And this is not just for some followers, like the special ones who were called into full-time ministry or, or mission field. This is for every believer, because every believer is special to God. 
He would have died for one. He did die for you. And so, I'm a very practical person. So I think maybe right now you're probably like, okay, enough talk. So what does this mean for me then? <laughs> what does it practically mean for us as picking up our cross and following him? Well, the cross that Jesus is talking about here is suffering specifically because we are following and obeying him. Or following and obeying him within the suffering that comes to us. And it's going to look different for each one of us. But for every single one of us, it involves denying ourselves, laying down our comforts, our preferences, our plans, and our loyalties for him. He's first. His plan, not our plan. And we do not need to go looking for this. We don't need to go home and think, gee, you know, I'm going to go find a cross and pick it up. It's going to come. It's just going to come, Jesus said, because you are following me. And the closer we walk with Jesus, the more we live like him and love like him, the more it will cost us. So it's going to look like people gossiping about us, not wanting to include us, overlooking us for promotions, losing a job because you want to be obedient to God, you want to have integrity, you want to be honest. It's going to look like any kind of sacrifice that you end up having to make because you are known as a believer. It is the sacrifice of giving up your plans because Jesus called you to do some kind of ministry, to serve at Sunday school, to... to I don't know, you name it. You know the things that God calls you to. And they do require sacrifice, don't they? But it's also an everyday cross of obedience and trust when we do what Jesus wants us to do and, oh, we would so much rather do what we want to do. So it's like being patient when all you want to do is bite somebody's head off. <laughs> Forgiving, would you so much rather hold that grudge and think about it? It's, it's acting in love when you'd rather hurt someone. It's um, paying your taxes and giving to the needy instead of hiding and hoarding. It's allowing an interruption in your day when you are so busy. It's choosing to trust and glorify God when something comes into your life that makes you just want to fall on the floor, takes your breath away, and you don't know where it came from. It's like choosing to daily trust God, like Andy is doing. It's choosing to live and love like Jesus instead of for ourselves. And all of these things, all of these things, it's a daily choice, isn't it? As Andy reminded us, daily we have to ask ourselves as we wake up in the morning, Am I going to, will I follow Jesus today? And so, before we go any further, I want to ask you this question. Has following Jesus ever cost you anything? I'm just going to give you a minute to think about, well, not a minute, 30 seconds. <laughs> Has following Jesus ever cost you anything? Okay, so we've talked a lot about the cost. Sounds high. <laughs> Why would I want to do it? That's a very good question. Why on earth would I want to pick up my cross and it's going to be so costly? Well, Jesus tells us in the remainder of these verses 
that there's not just suffering in following him, there's incredible sweetness. So much sweetness. Jesus says to us in verse 24, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. You know, we can avoid all kinds of suffering. We can refuse to get out of our Christian bubble, refuse to talk to anybody about Jesus, refuse to forgive, refuse to do all of those things, and we may avoid some suffering. That is true, but we will not be following Jesus. We won't be. We will not be living as part of his kingdom. We will not be following his plans or priorities or his purposes, and ultimately, we will lose. We will not lose our salvation, however, <laughs> okay? You don't lose your salvation by not following along after Jesus. But the question is, if you won't follow Jesus, do you really belong to him? That is a really important question you have to ask yourself because if we truly belong to him, we will. It will cost us something. Even if it's not a lot, it will cost us something. And we will lose because following Jesus is where we truly gain. It's where we truly gain our lives where they're supposed to be. In, like I said at the beginning, in God's upside-down economy, it's only in losing our lives that we actually really gain it because we were created for him. That's our purpose, we, to have intimacy with him. And only in him are we made absolutely whole, able to flourish. So yes, it is costly and painful, but it isn't in pursuing happiness for happiness' sake or trying to satisfy our own needs or avoiding everything that could possibly hurt us that we're going to get true flourishing and joy. It's only in following Jesus' path for us. There is no greater joy than living in God's kingdom for his kingdom purposes. There's not. It gives a kind of satisfaction and fulfillment that is not possible when we live for ourselves. And so Jesus has great purpose in what he allows in our lives. When he calls us to pick up our cross, he has purpose in that. It may be a purpose of, of allowing somebody else to see Jesus because of seeing the way we live. And it may simply be the purpose of drawing us closer to himself because the amazing thing that happens is that when we walk closely in suffering with the Lord, we have what Paul the Apostle calls the fellowship of his suffering. We do not experience him the same if we, if we play it safe. We don't. It's only in getting out on a limb and realizing, I, I, you know, I can't do anything. I, I, all I see is a storm around me. Uh, this is scary. This is painful. I don't really want to do this. That we realize that Jesus is right there. He's holding us, helping us, guiding us. So we get this incredible intimacy with him. So, by talking to his disciples then, Jesus wants them to know there is a cost to follow him. And he also wants them to know, he's asking them, are you willing to pay the cost? Are you willing? There's going to be a cost. Are you willing? In other words, do you treasure me enough to pay the cost? And that's a really important question, isn't it? Because when things get really hard, we will not want to follow Jesus. We will want the couch, not the cross, right? 
But Jesus is actually, whether we realize it or not, he is the greatest treasure. We sang all about what he has done for us this morning. He is worth more than anything and worthy of everything. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is beautiful. He is absolutely transcendent. He is glorious. He is God. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He is our intercessor. He is, he is God with us. And so he is worthy of anything we, he ever asks us to give him. Worthy of it. So why would we want to do this? Because he is worthy. But you know, it's something much more practical. He's also promised us a lot of rewards if we do. <laughs> and sometimes people think, oh no, you know, I don't want to talk about rewards. Surely that's not biblical, but it is actually. All the way through the Bible, Jesus talks about that. Well, the New Testament <laughs> talks about it. He says, in fact, no one who has left home or brother or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come. You simply cannot outgive God. Whatever you do for him, whether it big or small, in secret or in public, whatever you do, he sees it and he is going to reward it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has for those who love him. And so we see here now Jesus says to us in verse 25, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Again, he's not saying that we can lose our salvation, but he's saying that we can lose our purpose, our meaning for being here. Jesus is saying, really, in a nutshell, spend your life on something worthwhile. Don't waste your life on the temporary. <laughs> because even if we gain the whole world, it actually is completely not going to satisfy us. Many rich people have gotten there. They've got everything the world has to offer. They get to the top of the mountain, and it's pretty cold and empty up there. <laughs> it's also a waste of time, because you can't take it with you. That actually comes home really powerfully if you ever bury a loved one and you give away all of their belongings. They spent perhaps a lot of their life collecting those things and they didn't, cannot take it with them. In the end, the only thing that's worthwhile is what is eternal, your relationship with the Lord. And you may not be able to take something with you, but you may be able to take somebody with you. if you will live like Jesus and love like Jesus. So Jesus says then in verse 26, if we're ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of us when we, he returns. The truth is, if we do not have Jesus as our treasure, we will not want to do these things. We will not want to speak up in public. We will shrink back to my own shame. I have to admit, I've done that in public when people talk about the Lord or the church or whatever, and I've kept quiet, you know? I haven't lost my salvation, <laughs> but I haven't seen Jesus as a treasure enough to speak up for him. And then he ends this chapter with these cryptic words, truly, I tell you, some of you standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. What on earth does that mean? The disciples died before they saw Jesus return. We're still waiting for Jesus to return, aren't we? We want him to come back. I mean, he could come back any day and bring the new heaven and the new earth and have his kingdom here, but certainly they 
died before that happened. Well, in one sense, they did see the kingdom of God come because they saw it inaugurated. When Jesus rose from the dead, his kingdom did come. His kingdom came in the hearts of anyone who put their faith in him. His kingdom is here now in your and my heart when we believe Jesus. And it will come more fully when he returns, yes, but in the meantime, he wants us to build his kingdom, to spend our lives on something worthwhile, to be salt and light, to go into the dark places, to live like him and love like him in our homes, in our workplaces, in our jobs. Well, those are your workplaces, in your schools. <laughs> and the more we live like him and love like him, the more his kingdom will come because people will see him in us and God willing, they will want him for themselves and his kingdom will grow. So this is costly, yes, but we gain so much more, don't we? But as we end now, I think we just, maybe you're all thinking, well, just this is such a high thing. This is so painful. This is difficult. How on earth am I supposed to do this? How do I pick up my cross? I already have so much difficulty in my life. You're asking me now to add a cross to it? Well, we actually need God to enable us to do this. We actually can't do this on our own. And Paul, at the beginning when he was speaking, he talked about the things that God will give us. He gives us the resources. Every day we say, dear God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread, our daily resources, our daily whatever you need, patience, gentleness, self-control, the ability to get out of bed the next day because it's just so stinking hard. He will give it to you. Because Jesus has said, do not worry, I will never leave you. Go out into all the world, he says. Make disciples, but I will be with you until the ends of the age, he says. I will be with you and in you, Emmanuel, God with you. I will do it through you. Lean on me. Jesus knows what it is to pick up a cross. And believe me, he has the resources. And he also has the compassion for you. And he understands whatever you are suffering. I don't know what cross he's asked you to carry. I don't know if you're falling down under it right now. He sees you. He knows. And he will help you. Lean on him. You cannot do it on your own, but you do not have to. You never take a moment, not one step in this life without your Lord Jesus with you. So as I end today, I want to read, tell you the story of somebody who understood what it is to do this. And that is Bonhoeffer. Some of you have heard of him. He was a German theologian. He lived during the Nazi regime. And in 1938, he understood that picking up your cross meant giving up his plans that he had for his life, basically, in order to resist the Nazi rise to power. In order to faithfully defend God's word and his people, he lost his position as a professor. He gave up his plans to get married and have a family, and he was ultimately hanged, actually, in 1945, just months before the Allies came and, re and rescued everyone from the concentration camps. Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. He understood the cost, yet he treasured Jesus enough to pick up his cross and follow him and live like him and love like him. But you know, we don't need to go so far into the past for an example, do we? We have examples in our congregation. 
our own dear Andy, and others in our congregation who are struggling through cancer and other diseases and other, other things that we know of now, they are quietly trusting, quietly leaning on the Lord, and quietly glorifying him in such a powerful way. Last week, when Andy gave us that sermon, his love and trust for the Lord were palpable, even in the midst of something that I am quite positive we all know he did not expect and he does not want. I'd wonder how many people are going to meet Jesus because of Andy's and others' faithful love of the Lord. So I began this morning by asking you, who do you say Jesus is? And if your answer was, I don't know, or I'm not sure yet, today I want to ask you, invite you to see his love for you. See the high cost he paid for you and to ask him to be your savior. And if you know him already, my question for you is, how are you going to spend your life? Do you treasure Jesus enough to spend it on him and lead him wherever, follow him, wherever he leads you? Let's pray. Lord, these verses are hard for us in so many ways, the idea of picking up a cross, but Lord, also the idea that just because pain comes our way, Lord, doesn't mean you've abandoned us, is such a relief for us to hear that we should expect it, Lord. Help us, Lord, when we get it. Help us to understand. Help us, Lord, to pick up our cross and follow you no matter where you lead us, Lord, because you are the greatest treasure and you are worthy of everything that we can give you. And we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.